let, let me start this way. Excellence is never an accident. It's always the result of high intent. With other words, I have to set high intent in the things that I'm doing in my life, in my marriage, in the next day. High intent and hard work toward an intent and keep the intent. Once you set the intent, keep focus and you will accomplish it. Now, but understand what is excellence? Excellence in a thing, anything. If is if the thing works well for which it was created. Hey, this is Cal Walters with the Intentional Leader Podcast. I first want to thank you for joining us here today. Our mission is to help you intentionally lead yourself, inspire others, and make the world a better place. I hope you enjoy this message. Let's go make it count. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to episode 75 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. I hope this finds you well. We are all about helping you become a type of leader that inspires others to be their best. And no matter where you are in your life or on your leadership journey, whether you're just getting started, whether you're in a season of struggle, whether you're a seasoned leader and you feel like you're doing great, we want to help you get to the next level. And the way we do that is by bringing on amazing guests with leadership experience, with wisdom and insights that you can go and apply to your life and leadership right away. And I'm really excited about today's guest, Horst Schultze. I've been wanting to have Horst on the show for a while, so I'm so thankful he agreed to come on. Horst was one of the founding members of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. During his tenure at the Ritz-Carlton, Mr. Schultz served as the president and the CEO responsible for the $2 billion operation worldwide. Under his leadership, the Ritz-Carlton Company became the first service-based company to be recognized with the prestigious Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award. They actually won that twice under his leadership. Horse has been recognized with a lot of individual awards and he so generously captured the lifetime of wisdom that he developed in his book, Excellence Wins, A No-Nonsense Guide to Becoming the Best in a World of Compromise. This was a really fun and inspiring interview. On this episode, we dive into his incredible story, growing up in a small village in Germany, what excellence really means and what it doesn't. We talk about how he built a culture of excellence at the Ritz-Carlton. We talk about how he serves others, but also holds them to high standards. We discuss the importance of what he chose to measure at the Ritz-Carlton, and make sure you stick around to the end of the interview where he talks about how his life was forever changed by a health scare. The sponsor for this episode is Higher Echelon Incorporated. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm providing human capital and technology services to optimize performance. Higher Echelon can help prepare your organization to meet the rapidly changing, complex, and often ambiguous requirements of today's world by developing resilient and adaptive leaders, modernizing and enhancing processes, and implementing transformational technology solutions. That's what they'll do. They'll help. They'll work with your leaders. They'll work with your systems and they'll work with your technology to help you get aligned in all those areas. Go visit higherechelon.com to connect with Dr. Joe Ross and the amazing team at Higher Echelon to learn more about how they can help you and your team. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with a friend or someone in your network. I want to say a special thank you to all of you who continue to support Intentional Leader by listening, by engaging with us, by rating this show on Apple Podcasts, by sharing what we're building here 
with the people in your circle. I just want to thank you so much. I want to give a special shout out to Adam Neal for leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, brother. I see you. I appreciate you. You can connect with Mr. Schultz at his website at horseschultzy.com. His book, Excellence Wins, is available wherever books are sold. Additional leadership content can be purchased and viewed at needtolead.com, where the content can be licensed for a larger audience. And you can find links to all of those things I just mentioned or show notes this episode at calwalters.me. And without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the inspiring horse, Schulze. Well, sir, thank you so much for joining the Intentional Leader podcast today. It's an honor to have you on. Delighted to be with you. It's my pleasure. Well, I just want to tell you, I loved your book, Excellence Wins. Thank you so much for taking your, your really your life's work, your story, putting it into a book. I, I encourage everyone to go take a look at it. So many great practical nuggets for leaders that they can go and implement right away. And I wanted just to start by asking about that word excellence. You put it in the title, you talk about it throughout your book. It's used a lot, but you yeah. really, you've put it into practice in, in real life. And I'm just curious, what, is that, what does that word mean to you? How do you think about okay. excellence? Okay. Well, let, let, let me start this way. Excellence is never an accident. Mm. It's always the result of high intent. In other words, I have to set high intent in the things that I'm doing in my life, in my marriage, in the next day, high intent and hard work toward an intent and keep the intent. Once you set the intent, keep focus and you will accomplish it. Now, but understand what is excellent? Excellence in a thing, anything. If, is if the thing works well for which it was created. In a human being, it's different. In a human being, is if the human being does their very best, there's no perfection in a human being, mind you, does their very best in the functions that they fulfill in their work. Number two, in their work, in their function at home, at work, and, and does their very best. And helping your wife to the dishes, whatever the function is, do your very best. Number two, as a human being, do your very best relationally in your relationship with others. And even, even if that relationship is just passing by somebody, by somebody and say, good morning, sir. Do your very best. Look him in the eye, smile. Number three, do your very best morally in, in integrity. And number four, to me, and, and, and I'm not trying to push anything, don't misunderstand me, to me also means trying to do my very best spiritually. Hmm. If you put those things together, you talk about excellence as a human being. And of course, if that is true, then I have to try and improve those things ongoing, try to tweak it, try to stop for a moment. Could I do my function better? And that is what I recommend any one of the people that work in organization or you're the military, whatever you are, could I do my functioning, my, 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 my duties better? Number two, I strongly recommend you question yourself, could I do my relationships better? And of course, morally, and, 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 and so, and then you tweak it. The problem that the people have, they try, they're looking for the big hit somewhere. There's no big hit. Try and tweak yourself, 
in a few months you 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 pass mediocrity and you become excellent mm. what do you think you mentioned perfection because i think some folks can get focused oh, on sorry. perfection what 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 in your view is the difference between those two things perfection and excellence well the, the well there is no perfection hmm. uh, similar stuff other than than in a higher being maybe there's no such thing as perfection so you you try to improve but there is there is being excellent or, or there is being bad or there is what people some people need call bad good average average means if you're content well i'm a good average yeah come on average means you're you're the, the bottom of good and the top of bad that's all it means nothing that's mediocrity mediocrity is a morass and people find themselves in that mediocrity and it seems that we're looking for it today uh as as a nation as a society in many ways in many companies uh, is mediocrity a morass of mediocrity rather than doing what we are created for as human beings finding excellence which is fun which is which is rewarding which is honorable which is rewarding there is no reward in the explanations as to why you do don't do certain things there's only reward in accomplishing visions and excellence. Well, and it, you know, it, it, it again. It's not an accident. It, it's it's never an accident. It, it and you, you, your destination is no accident. It's the decisions that you make. The decisions for excellence or not. I love I love that you said that. Uh, you know, the name of this podcast is Intentional Leader, and a big part of being uh, the type of leader that we are trying to coach people to be is by being intentional, exactly what you talked about. It doesn't happen by accident. It's a daily choice that you make. Um, so I, I totally agree with that, 100%. And uh, you know, what, one of the things I love about your book is you give leaders a lot of practical tools. You also just give us a really cool story. So many, many people know you as the you know, former president, COO of Ritz-Carlton. People think Ritz-Carlton and this incredible hotel brand but a lot of folks probably don't know your story. And so I'd like to start there, kind of go back. You grew up in this small German village and you start the book by talking about, you know, you're coming home from having played soccer and your, your neighbor told on you about some news that you had shared at school. So I wonder if you could take us there to, to how this idea of you getting into the hotel business started for you. I don't know what started it, but for some reason, I was 11 years old when the teacher talked in school about what are you going to do when you grow up, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I want to work in a hotel business. I was in my mind, and I don't know why. Nobody knows why. And particularly unusual because that was not honorable at the time. At that time in Germany, after the war years, you went into a technical shop. It, it's still pretty honorable in Germany when you say, I want to be a carpenter, I want to be a roofer, I want to, these are all, oh, yeah. And now, if I would have said, I want to be an engineer, oh my goodness, that would have been the honor of the family. That would have been <laughs> it. Instead, I come home and and my grandfather, I mean, literally was terribly embarrassed all his life that I was, I want to be a waiter and a cook and work in a hotel business. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, and so, but it it my 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 parents finally gave up, 
and and fighting it and inquired with this with an agency what to do. They said uh, find the best hotel in the region for him to start with. They found the best hotel. Unfortunately, it was a hundred miles away from home. So with 14, I left home and lived in a dorm room in the hotel and worked there. Now, before I, now why in that hotel? Because it was by far the best hotel in the region. So before I left, my parents said, now, this is a hotel where we could never go. This is a hotel only for very fine ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's true. And when I arrived there, finally, with my mother, the, the maitre d' told us the same thing. Now, all of you are here to serve them, your servants, but our guests are very fine, ladies and gentlemen. You know, and, but next, a change of my life happened. I met the, met the maitre d' of the hotel, the guy in charge of food and beverage. And he said, now tomorrow, come to work at seven o'clock. When I say seven, I don't mean one minute after seven. I mean seven. And don't come to work to work. Come here to be create excellence in what you're doing. Uh, 14 years old, <laughs> that went right over my head. What is he talking about? Excellence, washing dishes, uh, cleaning floors, wash clean, cleaning ashtrays, maybe. What is excellent? Well, I learned because he was a human being of excellence. He was a a man of total integrity and excellence. He would have never entered a restaurant like, unless he looked perfect at the time mm. and so on. And if you allow me to finish that story, it, just, it takes a moment here. But once a week, typical German upbringing, I went to hotel school. In the meantime, I learned slowly what, from this man who was an example of excellence. That's typical. Once a week, you go to hotel school and, and where all the kids from the region come. After two years, the teacher said, write me an essay, three pages, what you now think about the hotel business. I go back to work and I see the maitre d' approaching a table that night. And I realized the guests on that table were proud that he came to them. Now, wait a minute, that's a reversal. He, we are the servants. That, and when I contemplated that that night for the SA, for my SA, and I, for the first time I realized that I could define myself in life. I not, it's not the world who defines me unless, unless I let them define me. And he defined himself as a very fine gentleman. That's why the guests were proud when he came to them. And that's, and, and I said, wow. So I named that, S.A. which I wrote, we are, ladies and gentlemen, if we live up to it, if we mm. define ourselves of such, and we can do that at work, anywhere. We are, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. I done later met at the motto of Ritz-Carlton and I became, I, I was operating founder of Ritz-Carlton. We started a new company and I met at the motto and I became in our industry, world famous. We are ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. I love that. I love that so much. And and just to put this in context too, a little bit more about your story, there was no fine hotel in your town, right? Like the okay. idea. 
there was no hotel in my village. There was no hotel. Okay. I'd never seen a hotel. I'd never been in a hotel. Nothing. <laughs> I must have read something about it. I don't know. I mean, I my, would have we discussed that with my parents many, many, many times and never could really come to conclusion where it came from. Well, you were meant to do that. I think that's clear to me. And so, and so this motto, you're right, this motto of we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, it really elevates the identity and the status of everyone serving in the, in the, in the hotel industry and certainly in the Ritz Carlton. I'm curious, how did you all go and incorporate that into the culture of Ritz Carlton? I wonder if you could take us back because I was actually learned about you when you were interviewed on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. And then I went and got your book and really enjoyed it. And uh, he talks about how, how he was able to observe you teaching people. Uh, originally, it was, it was some of the the folks in the organization. And then you taught, actually taught a separate session with the managers and the leaders. Um, but I'm just curious, how were you able to incorporate that motto, which is a, a, a lovely motto, into the culture of Ritz-Carlton? Well, I, I break the relationship of the organization with the employees who make the, the organization is threefold, in my opinion, very strong. It would take long to explain them all, but number one is the selection of the employee. If you want to have a great organization, you have to have great employees. Number one is the selection. Already in the selection, we said, we are, don't come to work with us, join us. We look at our people that work with us as ladies and gentlemen, servant ladies and gentlemen. But that means we expect you to behave like it. That's, my, that's not only how we respect you, but that's also what we expect from you. Managers, we told the same thing. And the manager, that means you respect your employees as ladies and gentlemen. So that's the first step where we brought it in. Then they had the orientation. So the first time they come to work, we made it very clear the first day we only explained them who we are. And I said, the first thing we're going to say again, don't work for us, join us. Here's our vision. Our vision is to become the finest hotel company in the world. And we want, we want you to join that vision. That's our purpose. I not only want to give you a job, I want to give you a purpose. And you come here not as a, as a servant. We are not servants. We are ladies and gentlemen. Our profession is service to ladies and gentlemen. The only one that can make you a servant is you by creating mediocrity and, and, and sentence yourself to be a servant rather than being a ladies and gentlemen and so on. We then repeated that ongoing and, and reminded them of that ongoing. So it is the groups where you impact the, the employee is during the selection already. During the orientation, there's a key element which people miss altogether. Companies miss it. And the third, what they do, what do companies do in orientation the first day? I'll tell you very simple. The, the, the new employee comes in, Bill, the new bidder comes into work. I explained in the book. It is, that's how it works. I see many, many, many companies. It, it doesn't have to be a bidder, it can be anything. Comes to work and said, Bill, and the and the, the manager makes the, the stupid team speech. Without giving an objective, how can you be a team without not having an objective? Mm. <laughs> the whole meaning of a team meaning having a common objective and helping each other toward the objective. But that's not given. But we're a team here. And then fill out those papers and so on. Now, Bill, work with Joe over here. 
He knows the ropes. Happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not in a rope business, but somehow Bill, the other guy knows ropes. That I, I don't get it. I mean, it happens all the time. And and instead of explaining, uh, the, the people have a right to know who you are the first day. What's your heart? What's your soul? What's your What's the customer? What the customer expects from you? How should you behave with in it? Aligning people—that's alignment. And, and and every company talks about alignment, and there is none. Hmm. It's just come on. I I, I work with companies that, that that where the CEO wrote a book on most important assets our employees, and I know for a fact he gave a damn about them. Hmm. He treated them like a just a tool. Mm-hmm. It, it's ridiculous, but you make, have to make clear in your orientation. That's not who we are, and then ongoing have a relationship and a leadership where people are part of something. The number one part, the number one part they should be part of is the vision of the company. But so many people, don't, companies don't even have a vision. Come on, where do you going to take your vision? What's the purpose? I was proud to give my employees something higher than a job. I gave them purpose. Mm. That means the vision of the company to become the very best. But I told them at the same time, what's my motive and how it relates to their motives, to have opportunity, to have opportunity, to be respected, to be honored in in a business, to be honored as a human being, to be defined as people of excellence. Mm. All that has to happen in, in in the selection, in the hiring, and in the orientation, and then mm-hmm. it has to be maintained. Mm-hmm. That's leadership. Now, you see, the difference, everybody talks about management, leadership, but what, what, what is this? And what an alignment? Oh, there's another password, alignment. Oh, alignment. Okay. Please forgive me that I'm cynical because I just come back from a meeting where I experienced that again in a company. That's why. Mm. If, you, if you picture on your left, over there, there are many people over there. That is the market that you market or your potential market for your product. Mm-hmm. And over here, on the right, there are a lot of people. Those are your employees. Now, if I run a good company, I know what my market expects from my product. That expectation, I understand. Now I make sure that my employees un- understand what my customer, what my market expects. Make sure that is starting alignment. At the same time, I have to now, as management, create processes, systems, pro- uh, measurements, and, and, and controls, so to be sure that happens. Leadership creates an environment in which the employees want to do that. Now, now they're aligned, they know what the customer wants, they know what the company is, they know the expectation, and now you, you're aligning them, now they're aligned. They also know the benefit they gain if they do it right. Mm-hmm. Now you have leadership and management together that creates great product. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what it's all about. And what was your vision at Ritz-Carlton? Well, the only reason why I, when I joined that company, it was not called Ritz Garden, it didn't have a name. It just had two hotels in construction. 
But the reason why I took a job and I was a, was a corporate vice president for Hyatt with golden handcuffs and anything you can imagine, I was very successful in that company, in that wonderful company, I have to say. But I left because I was told in that new company, I can run the operations and create a company. And I thought, okay, I'm going to join and create the finest hotel company in the world. The vision was we will be the finest hotel company and the finest brand in the world. Hmm. And 10 years later, we were. Hmm. And, the, and you talk about that a lot in your book about how kind of the four questions to maintain that vision. Uh, and, and you talk about one, strive to inspire, two, don't settle for less, three, let nothing cloud your vision, and then four, always look to improve your vision. What are some what are some tips you would give to leaders about not just creating your vision, but how to really just incorporate that vision into the organization and, and repeat it? Well, well, the first incorporation is to, to be sure that the vision that you establish, like in, in our case, to become the leader in the hotel business, you have to if you're an honorable and moral leader, you will question yourself, number one, is that good for all concerned? Is it is it is that really of great meaning for the investors? Not just answering yes, but why? The same thing. Is it really this is really good for the customer? Why? Is it good for the employee? Why? Is it good for society as a whole? Why? And if the answer is yes, in all cases, unquestionably, really, really agonize about it. Now, it is incorporated into everybody in that moment. And then you, the leader, have not more rights to compromise it. But you have to make sure that you communicate it and invite people to join this. Make sure that you let them know. Look, look at the millennials, you. Uh, What's the difference with the millennials from where I was? Well, you say, first of all, millennials say, do it my way. Hmm. I went to McDonald's and said, take a number one. You go and say, take a number one, but take two slices of tomatoes and a half a pickle and do this. That is millennial. But at work, the millennial says, what's in it for me? I thought so too, but I was afraid to ask. But so, why are we, why are we upset about that? Someone, in the contrary, we should be glad. I will tell you what's in it for me. If you join me, you are here for a purpose, and that purpose is good for you. And, and I touched on it earlier. My purpose, and here's my motive. I hire you, and I said, join me for the purpose of becoming the finest hotel company in the world. And here's why I want to do that. That means we will be all, we're defining ourselves all as fine, ladies and gentlemen, you do too. That means if we, that means we're gonna grow. That means opportunity for you and everybody here. That means also you make have more income. That means you're honored. That means everything for you. Now you know what's in it for you. So I connected you to the vision and to the motive of the vision which is the issues that you're looking for, what's in it for me. That has to happen. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and I, it seems to me that a vision, a good vision, really, it inspires um, people. They can, it's something that they want to aspire to. It inspires the entire 
team and organization. Exactly. A vision is not something you can do. It's a, it's a, it's a vision is something you wish to do, you want mm-hmm. to do, you dream about. Mm-hmm. It's something it, beautiful. Yeah, it gets it, you excited. It gets you excited. It is worthwhile to go to work for it. I'm not going to go and play football. I'm going to go to become Super Bowl champion. My goodness, there's a huge change. Why not doing that in in any little work that is being done? Hmm. And I going back to the Maitre D, uh, Carl. It's Carl Zeitler. Um, yeah. You talk about how he not only did he inspire, but he also held you to high standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and let me let me tell the rest of the story on that one. Before I left, uh, and as I left on, after three years, I went on to work in Switzerland, and then I worked in, in various other places. And so he, he made me look in his eyes and said, now promise you me you never go to work to work. Hmm. Promise you me that you always go to work for excellence. Let me take that forward. Now I went to work. I worked in Switzerland, worked on the America line, went back to Switzerland worked in Paris for nearly three years, worked in London for a year, and then I got an offer to work in, in the US. So I got to the US with the intent. I was on a, on, a, on a changing time, I was 25. I said, now I'm going to go for a year, maximum two. I have to make sure that in those two years I get promoted to the next level, supervisor somewhere. Then I go back and finish my career in Europe. Ended up in the in the, in the Ritz Carlton, and I'm sorry, in the Hilton, in San Francisco, as a room service waiter. It was very clear I was the best room service waiter there. There was no question about it. I knew the chemicals of that. I learned of chemicals of food, the beverage, how it goes together. The rest of the waiters were order takers and deliverers of food. Mm. So I knew the next opening in that in that and I saw after a few months a supervisor got promoted restaurant manager and said wait a minute there are four supervisors here pretty soon somebody else get promoted I will get that job that was very clear that I would get it because also the room service manager was German so I'm German he's German I'm a great waiter I will get that job and sure enough a few months later the job became open and I didn't get it. Hmm. And that, that was a major ego below and, and my ego and so on. And, and all I could think of how stupid management is and, and no good and, and I should look for a different job. And, and, and But I kept on working and it took me a few months to recognize the other guy deserved it more. Hmm. I was pretty young. I partied a lot at the time. I came five minutes late, oh, only five minutes sometimes, <laughs> big deal, right, you know, no big deal. And, I, and you could, could see not from 100 feet, from 100 meters, you could see that I was tired. Hmm. And when the, when, the, when the manager asked me to do some side work here, like folding napkins, why me? Why not the other guys? The guy that got a promotion walk, walked in the, in the morning smiling and said, good morning, everybody. When the, med- when the manager asked for something, he said, I'm happy to. He deserved it more. That's when I went back to my lousy little room, furnished room in the Tenderdown district in San Francisco. It looked bad then, it looks worse now. And I talked to my maitre d'. 
Now he had passed in the meantime. He had mm -hmm. passed on. He, he didn't show up as a ghost either, but I talked with him. The first thing is I apologized. I mm. told him I went to work to work. I didn't go for excellence. I went to work for work and I apologized. And I told him, no matter what, it will never, ever happen again. And I wrote it on the mirror where I shaved, go to work for excellence, not for work. I went to work to work. It went kind of, his teaching kind of went away. I had worked in the finest places in Europe, absolute finest hotels in Europe, but I went to work. And then I promised myself I never have gone, and my career took off like a rocket ship, like a rocket ship. And I promised myself I'll never do a job unless I can be the very best in it. And that's it. And finished. I get the rest. The rest is history. Hmm. How do you? How do you? You talk that that kind of gets it. Holding yourself to high standards, making sure yeah. you show up, not just to work, but to do excellent work. But it also sounds like he, as your leader at the time, he held you to those high standards. So it's about holding yourself to the high standards, but also holding other people. How, how do you think about that? He, well, very, very clear. Well, if you're a leader, you have to have that responsibility. You see, for example, I said before, if you run a large company, you cannot be the, you cannot mentor each person there. I had 25,000 employees, but I, nevertheless, I, I was as a leader, the two areas where I was in charge of, that's the vision and the standards of the organization. And I knew I had no right, no more than the right to compromise it because I knew it was good for all concerned after all. In that moment, when I had come to that decision, carefully think about it, agonizing about it, then I knew I, had, I could not compromise. I had no right to compromise it. So the, the standards were the, the standards were, were set, but the constant and but the constant communication of to the company who we are, what we think that they're part of the company for a good reason. That constant communication has to be there, of course. As and you, yeah. And you you talk about in the book how you would have not just I don't think it was just daily meetings with with the team. There would be meetings for every shift change where yeah. you would. Well, I, I wouldn't, but the message of the day was communicated. See, <clears throat> let me explain that. That was it's pretty important for, for you if you run a department or a company, it doesn't matter, or yourself. Manage, first, you lead yourself, of course. But we had established we want to be the leader in the world. And then we said, what will it take? In what areas do we must, must we be superior to the competition if we want to be the best in the world? So we identified 20 points that we knew we must, must do superior. So we teach those 20 points the, the second day of hiring. The first day we just talk about the alignment and the behavior of in our business. The second we're teaching those 20 points. And from there on, in every shift, we repeat one of those points. Today, it may have been point number 12. Simple point, but very important, and the way it was taught and so on. If a guest asks for direction, do not point, take them there. So, and what we taught then, and that is the point, but then we taught once on the way there, create a relationship. Say, uh, 
uh, are you a hotel guest? And if, if they say, yes, uh, I hope you had a chance to try our restaurant. Everybody compliments the food. Com relationship, but selling at the same time. Mm -hmm. Beautiful little conversation. So that's number 12. In 20 days, number 12 will be explained again. Mm. 20 days later. So constantly we keep those 20 points, which we know will make us superior. We keep them alive in front of mind. And today, number 12 would be taught, would be, would, is that, if that's the day of the days, number in every hotel around the world. This way do, also we had the same narrative in every hotel around the world, consequently the same culture. We also read a letter done always or something where guests complimented that issue. So the same conversation is taking place in every hotel around the world. And I could, it, it, I could see some leaders hearing that thinking that's overkill like that. You, are you doing that every single shift? Like, man, that's just, but you insisted upon that. Yeah. And, and uh, well, my managers also told me that's overkill after a while. Mm -hmm. They were embarrassed to do it again. So I got them all together and said, all right, okay. Does anybody in the room who doesn't know what Coca-Cola is? Nobody raised their arm and said, so, so. Coca-Cola knows that er that everybody knows what Coca-Cola is. So I wonder why they still advertise. Mm. Because they know you have to keep it front of mind. Mm -hmm. And if those points make us the best of in the world, why wouldn't we keep it front of mind nonstop? So that's, that's so it. good. Yeah. And I think what, what I think, I think about my team. So I have a, I lead a team of lawyers and uh, paralegals and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm often, I'm often, I have a Monday morning meeting with all of them. And I, that's a really important meeting for me because I know that the same person that left the office on Friday is not the same person that's sitting in that, that meeting on Monday. They, they've experienced their, their mind has been elsewhere and now we've got to bring them back. And we've got to put, like you said, something on the forefront of their mind. I often talk about teamwork or some you know, focus for the week or our mission or our vision. Uh, so I just, I think that's really important for leaders to appreciate that it often feels like you're repeating yourself, but you're repeating yourself for a reason. Yeah, well, sure. Uh, and, and in fact, I always encourage repeat, repeat, and repeat. Pretty soon people will do it. Uh, and, and in fact, I the, way, the reason why you want to on Monday morning getting together because as a leader, again, that's what I'm saying. I own the vision and the standards. And on Monday morning, I have no problem to say again, now we are here for this meeting in order to make sure we focus on the vision of the company. The vision and whatever we do now, if it doesn't bring us closer to being the best in the world, we shouldn't be doing it. We should be doing something else. Everything we do has to lead, has to lead forward to move to bring us, make us the best in the world. And if somebody did a job that wasn't so good, I said, and I asked, tell me, will that make us the best in the world? I kept that alive. Okay, nonstop. Because I knew it would be good for all concerned. That was my, I own that. Hmm. So I all also owned, owned the standards because the standards being very high will make us the best in the world. Those are the two things that I owned. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's so important. And you, I've heard you talk about how that becomes that filter for everything you do. You're you're sitting in a meeting. Why are we in this meeting? <laughs> What's the purpose of this meeting? That's right. What are we trying to accomplish? That's it. 
that's it. If it doesn't bring us closer to our to the objective, which is good for everybody, well, why we're wasting our time here. I want to ask you about results because results are often, you know, we talk a lot about servant leadership in your book. Uh, Ken Blanchard writes the forward and he talks about how you are like the true servant leader. Uh, but you also, you got results too. And you took time to figure out what should we measure. And I think sometimes when we think about servant leadership, that can feel very mushy and, Hey, we mm -hmm. take care of people, but you also, any good leader is also getting results. And so I'm, I'm curious if you could, if, if we're kind of have some leaders out there who are thinking, okay, what, what should I focus on when it comes to measuring our results? Uh, well, uh, yeah. It's it's kind of interesting. I I was on a number of boards. I still am. But practically every board I have been in my career on was quite a number. When they have a board meeting, those important smart CEOs that sit in the room, what do they talk about? They talk about cash flow, money, a new new venture, new brand, they talk about everything, but they don't talk about what makes money. Okay. They're not talking about employee satisfaction. Somebody may, may, may make a speech because they, they, they write a book about employees, but they don't <laughs> talk about it. They're talking about the customers. They're not talking about what the customer likes or don't like. They talk about another program, yes and all kind of money things, but never about what really makes money. And that is disturbing. I mean, make, I make sure that you concentrate on the stuff that makes money. I I measured and I knew, look, when, when we started in the beginning, frankly, I was a micromanager a little bit. I looked at everything, but as we grew and went into the Another continent, on the end, we went five continents. And mind you, in every continent, we were the absolute leader. So much so for cultural differences that we love to talk about now. I mean, I mean, come on. I did. I had the best hotel in Africa, the best hotel in Asia, the best hotel in Germany. The best, and it had nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. They're all human beings. Mm. And you treat them with respect and dignity, those human beings. And they all really want to do good. So what did, we, what did, what did I measure? I measure customer satisfaction. How many, how many percent of the customers want to come back and want to recommend us? Net promoter score, the user, and so on, okay, user word. That's what I look for, I looked at every day, every hotel. Now, in the, at the end of the month, I made a decision about that. And I set an expectation on that. I'm in charge of the standards. 92% top box it had to be, minimum. Top, and, uh, and then, Employee satisfaction was the other measure. Hmm. The daily economics, of course, I have to look at that. What happened? And my future indicators. Future indicators for me, we have a system of figuring out if my indicators for individual reservation or group reservations up or down. I looked at that every day. And then end of the month, I had a, had a composite end of the month, I talked to anybody who went over the measurement point, under the measurement point, I talked to. If they went well over, I talked to them too. I said, how do you do that? Man, you're great. So, so that's it. So very few measurements. They have five measurements. That's all. <laughs> that, that's all. But it encompassed really everything. Mm -hmm. 
So, and, and, and when, and, but once I saw a red flag on one of them, and my threat to the, <laughs> to the hotels was <laughs> very simply, if you stay under 92, top box in tender return, if you stay under that for a couple of months, I will move into the hotel and fix it. <laughs> you have to stand by and do it. <laughs> Nobody wanted that. Uh, horses moving in. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think so. For the leaders listening, I think we're we're seeing a trend here. So you you've, you're you're creating clarity around. You've got the vision, and it's 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 a filter for everything. You've got these uh, these priorities, these principles that you're repeating. And then you have this, these very clear measurements and you're not measuring everything. Not everything is important, but you're making it clear. This is what's most important. This is not just what I'm, what I'm focused on. I'm also focusing on this for how I rate you and evaluate you and maybe even come move in if you're, if you're, if you're not doing a good job. Um, and so I think that's so, and I, I'm curious, I, I read something in your book about how to, when you focus so much on customer satisfaction that you would give your employees a $2,000 budget to go and, and, and make customers happy. Is that true? Oh, it was a, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I, I empowered the employees to make, in, if they have in, encountered dissatisfied guests, mm-hmm that they can make a decision up to $2,000 to move that guest into a zone of loyalty rather than dissatisfaction. We have to understand that there are three types of guests. There's the one that is dissatisfied, who are, ladies and gentlemen, managers, understand the guest, the customer that's not happy with you is going to be a terrorist against your company, Mm -hmm. period. They love to go on the internet and destroy you. Mm-hmm. And afford that. That's why. And now, of course, the, the next level guest is the is the satisfied guest. They can go next door if there is a better deal. And yeah. then there is the loyal guest. The loyal guest, what does it mean? That means they trust you. That's why they're loyal. They have developed trust in you. And we know, by the way, and that's very important. And I know I'm not giving you an answer yet, but what's very important here is pretty recent services. The guest that feels loyal to you, that means they got good service, good relationship. It's relationship that creates that trust, not a product. And the guest that got good relationship and feels that you serve them well are willing to pay more for the same product. Yep. 70% of the market says so, but guess what? Millennials, over 80% say so. So I, I, you better pay attention to that. You better pay, pay attention because the uh, only millennials pretty soon, the rest of us are dead. Okay? So those, <laughs> it's true. The <laughs> so pay attention. 80% are willing to pay more if you take good care of them. So that, that is why you, you, you have to work on that. You have to work on this on, on, on this customer loyalty issue and pay attention to them and make sure that they that 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 they are happy that they are happy and and, and well so it, it is not just serve them do what they want but caring for them that is what, what that is 
hospitality. And in any business hospitality, some people say, I'm sorry, I get totally away from your question. You have to repeat it. Uh, in any business, even if you if you're business to business, there's still somebody in your business that deals with the human being and the other one, which creates the opinion about your company. So it's relationship. So you have to tweak the relationship piece of the human beings that you have working for you. What was your question? <laughs> you're all over it. No, well, specifically, let me be more specific. Uh, is it true that that this two thousand dollar yeah, well, well, budget? Yeah, okay. okay, so so. Being scared that I create terrorists, I I said, okay, you have it, you are empowered now. Now, which created nuclear bomb? <laughs> and I said to every employee, you can spend two thousand dollars. Not what I said. I said you can spend up to two thousand dollars to keep a customer. <laughs> now, there's only one or two cases when they spend that much. The rest of them just bought breakfast. Here's the, mm-hmm. here's the, the guest that is very up, upset. I give that as an example, comes in in the morning and the bus boy said, sir, I h- hope you had a nice day. And he said, I didn't, my TV didn't work. In that moment, the bus boy owns the TV. Mm-hmm. And he is, and they were all certified, every employee, how to handle situations like that. Mm-hmm. First is listen, listen carefully. Empathize, apologize, make amends, and delight. Mm. So now he is, he listens, he empathizes, he apologizes, and now he says, now he's empowered to do something. Mm. Now he says, forgive me, sir. I'm happy to buy you breakfast now. The basco. Mm. Wow. Wow. And then he was able to also now take the next step. If he knew the guest was still staying in the room, to send him a note and say, with, with cookies and saying, I just want to apologize one more time. Wow. Believe me, mm-hmm. that guest yep. wasn't, wasn't a terrorist anymore. He no. became ambassador. Absolutely. Of course, the bus boy now also had to, and we had a system, report the situation so it gets corrected right away. It's all systems and you have to work you know, on the end, no matter what you do, you have to create processes so to be sure it happens. That's mm-hmm. management. I love that. Well, Horst, uh, I know we're running out of time here. One of the things that I often say at the end of the show is life is short, let's make it count. And yeah. it goes back to what you talked about with being intentional. And I know in 1992, you know, you're, you're in the middle of your career, you're doing you're obviously doing very well in your career. You've got some young children, you're married, um, and then you have a health scare. And I'm wondering if in the time that we have left, if you could just kind of tell us about that briefly, and then just kind of the big takeaways for you and how that's changed the way you move or live moving forward. Well, uh, things were going, we were voted number one in the world and blah, 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 blah. Everything we give each other high five and so on. I had a doctor's appointment and and had an operation and he said, well, you have a cancer that uh, always comes back within 10 months and it's always fatal. And uh, I had four children, the youngest one and a half, one and a half, five, nine, and an older one. And I couldn't. And I had, and, and wife couldn't leave them alone. I mean, I so I. For the first time, no matter how much we know that, 
but be, because of the world and the egos and everything, it just doesn't really sink in that we are not in charge. And I accepted that somebody higher is in charge. That was my number one thing. I accepted that. There was, there was nothing but a decision. Everything in life is a decision. My decision was, I accept this, and I will lift it according to that. I mean, maybe may all make decisions. So I mean, I'm, 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 I'm married for over 40 years, but I'm still in love with my wife. That's a decision. It's not a feeling. You wait for the feeling. No, I make the decision for the feeling. Mm-hmm. But, but in that, that case, as I said before, our destiny depends on the decisions that we make. In that case, I made a decision, I will be a believer. That is a decision. I have a friend who is a, was an atheist. That was his decision. Well, it's all decisions. doesn't matter. But my life changed. My life changed. Everything looked different. Everything looked better. People looked better. And I knew that everybody is a creation and, and, and live according to that. It, it, it impacted me dramatically. Uh, life is not the, the same anymore. Believe me, after you being told you're going to have 10 months about to live. Mm. I decided... Uh, I was r- recommended to to go and have a chemo to try and avoid the cells that are in me from spreading to a snowstorm. That was the word. But otherwise, it will come back everywhere. And I decided not to get, go to chemo, but went on an unusual diet. And because the guy that created diet said, if you go on it for a year, you're going to live. <laughs> so... This guy said, you're going to die. And he said, so I decided to go with him. <laughs> what an easy decision. Easy please. choice, yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, after a year, no cancer. So he said, if you do it one more year, the cancer will never come back. I did it. I never came back. I made oh a speech God. about three, four years ago, three years ago, I think, in, in John Hopkins. And I was, sit with, I was sitting afterwards with a chief oncologist, and I told him I had a cancer. And he said, no, you did it because nobody has survived it yet. Mm. And I said, well, I did. And he said, well, 22 years ago, that was a, that was a better, diff- difficult uh, uh, analysis. And today, um, you didn't have that cancer. Mm. We agreed I would send him the slides. And he called me back and he said, gee, I didn't know anybody survived it. Wow. There you are. But it's a miracle. I, it, it, those things are miracles, and it, miracles happens all around us. We just don't see them. And, and again, even that was high intent. I want to live mm. easy in that case, but we should always have high intent and go for it. Mm. We should have a, high intent for ourselves, for our families, high intent to have a great marriage, high intent for our children, high intent for our departments, high intent for our jobs, high intent for our country. I mean, and, and then we have to do something about it. Hmm. Not just making speeches about it, but we have to do, actually apply. Think, think about the outcome. Think of what's good for everybody. And not just do. But the problem is, is our high intent good for all concerned? Hmm. And that's the issue today. That's the issue in, in society. It's good for that one person but is it good for all concerned? And the real morality lies there. And I think, you know, if you have the moment that I had, you come to the point, you include others in your high intents. Mm. Because mm. you know, not only you have that higher being, 
that create you, but that I have been creating others to be. Mm. I love that story, Horace. And I, I love your entire story. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for writing this book. I encourage everybody to go check it out. And I'll put show notes to uh, for people to connect with you in uh, for this episode. So thank you so much, Horace. I know you got to run. And uh, just want to God thank you again you. for joining us. God bless God you. Bless you Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Horst. I loved what he said about excellence, how excellence is not something that happens by accident. It requires high intent, which is 100% in line with what we are focused on here at Intentional Leader. That word intentional really is at the core of everything that we try to focus on and teach and coach. And we know that it's hard. It's hard because we live in a world of distraction. We live in a world where there's just so many things to focus on. It's easy to get lost. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here to try to coach ourselves and to try to help you come alongside of us on your journey, wherever you find yourself, to be a person of high intent, to be able to create the life that you want, to be able to become the type of leader that you want to be that inspires others to live in line with your values. And so I'm so thankful for Horst coming on the show today to share with us his lifetime of wisdom, not just in how to lead himself, but how to lead an organization, how to create an excellent culture. So I encourage you to go and, and apply those things in your life, apply those principles in your leadership, share it with someone in your network. You never know how that might help them on their journey and inspire them. I also loved what he shared at the end about the health scare and about how that completely changed his perspective on what matters in life. And, you know, none of us are immune to that. None of us know how much time we have. So we got to make every moment count. If you want to connect more with Mr. Schulze, you can go to his website, horseschulze.com. You can also get his book, Excellence Wins, which I highly recommend wherever books are sold. And there's also additional leadership content, which can be purchased and viewed at needtolead.com, where you can get his content and it can be licensed for a larger audience. All of those links are at my website at calwalters.me. Thank you all. I appreciate you all. I love you all. I'm rooting for you. I hope you go and make this a wonderful week and I hope you go and impact the people around you in a positive way. Remember, none of us know how much time we have, so let's be intentional. Life is short. Let's go make it count.